everybody. Welcome to Midnight Revolution. Midnight Revolution is a podcast celebrating the friendships that anchor us in life and the deeply centering and transformative talks that accompany them. I'm Malisa Joes Khan, a family medicine physician, entrepreneur, wife, and mother of two. And I'm Catherine Akiko Day, an art director for film and television, a painter, crossfitter, and activist. Our music is by Alishaba Etube. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing failure and freedom. So what is, why did yeah. you, why did you choose? Cause you came up with that uh, oh, combo and right. that title. So like yeah. what's behind that? Well, I thought about failure and freedom because <clears throat> generally, you know, part of this podcast is empowering people, especially women or people who identify as women, uh, to be able to tell their story. And one thing that I think inhibits us from sharing our really those transformative moments is that they often involve failure and the culture of shame and guilt, especially around women, uh, really kind of pushes people to not to, to hide that, to hide that aspect and, and not share that aspect. But in my own experience, and I know we've talked about it before, mm-hmm. when you hear about other people's fa- failures, you, you, you don't judge them for their failure. Yeah. You're, you're inspired yeah. and you're motivated by hearing about the work and the transformation uh, for yourself. So that's kind of why I chose that topic, failure and freedom. What about you? What does it mean to you? Well, I want to press you on just one, like why the word freedom? Why why that dichotomy of failure and freedom? Why that word? Oh, why did I choose freedom? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Cut out for a second. Um, so did I, I didn't even, I thought you wrote freedom, which I thought was kind of cool. No, <laughs> it was you. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, that's kind of like, it's like a yin and yang. It's two sides of the coin. And I guess we, I we don't even it. know where one ends and the <laughs> other begins. <laughs> so I guess, um, well, the reason I liked that you had chosen the word freedom, but particularly <laughs> I had chosen the word freedom, um, with that very thing. So it's like two sides of a coin. It's like yin and yang. It, it goes together. Once you are free to fail, there mm. is a liberation in that. There is no, right. it takes away the power of the worry and the stress and the anxiety right. of, of wanting to succeed when you know that you can fail, but that failure will lead to transformation. It will lead to growth. It will mm-hmm. lead to you know, authenticity, authenticity, so all of those great things. And uh, yeah, so failure and freedom. And people don't often associate those. Like you said, it's like a dichotomy. They don't often associate those two things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this for me, I sent you the couple topics that the, the personal stories that came up for me. Yeah. Uh, and I know you can relate, but as Asian Americans – this immediately brings up for me the kind of very specific perfectionism that comes uh, with much of the Asian American community. Straight A's, it's like a given. There's like no question about it. Uh, High achieving. There's kind of a 
lack of authenticity too that comes with the kind of saving face thing Mm. where you're like it's all in what you're projecting outward into the world um and like an inability to own struggle as like not only as desirable but like normal (laughs) like a normal part of being human is struggling and failing and I know that this cultural thing is something that you and I have talked about a lot yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, and 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 this is these are like pretty universal concepts, but mm-hmm. particularly in Asian American or Asian communities, uh, like saving face and shame plays a big role as a motivator. Yeah, like Indi- Indian Indian yeah, people, particular, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They 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 specifically say like shame, shame when you do something shameful, or they say that's right. shameful, or you're making me feel ashamed as a parent, mm. uh, you know, so there's so a lot like of kind of explicit. Oh, it, very um, explicit. And, and like I said, I'm sure that's in other communities too. Mm-hmm. It's just what I know. So my upbringing was that's, it makes kind of, it kind of makes sense, right? Cause we're both Asian American, but we come from different part. Like I'm East Asian American, you're some continent yeah. and there are big differences, yeah. even though there's a lot of overlap. So like yours was explicit, which I find hilarious and makes a lot of sense. Um, and you won't be surprised to hear that it's very on brand that my upbringing was more like it is it's like hidden in a way like you're not confused about what the messaging is, but it's like it's never said explicitly. <laughs> it's like in a look <laughs> or or a gesture or you know it's it's much more subtle but like almost more intense <laughs> because of that because it's just kind of like under the surface you're like what's happening what's the bad thing yeah something is very bad <laughs> in one of my first therapy sessions like back in the day yeah because like my in my mind I was like no I don't have any problems we're yeah. totally fine there's nothing wrong <laughs> My upbringing was a hundred percent normal, and yeah. like I have no issues. And like, yeah. <laughs> and she was I, like, "Would we say that?" <laughs> I was like, oh. "Rachel, yeah. you make a good point." Oh, Rachel. <laughs> oh, Rachel, thank you. No, it's. I think like I think that's really important for really. Uh, this is such an important point because that's the type of family that we were both raised to represent a productive family, a successful family, and that we would have this image of like being this, like, of course, our brothers were friends and they were really smart and they were really quote unquote successful in their high school careers or whatever debate club. But um, (laughs) yeah, so then it's so funny that we've also like convinced ourselves that we have great families and everything is fine. And yeah. Things can, two things can be true. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about was like failure is like, a, like all, all, everything that we're saying, like the reason why we're doing this podcast or one of the reasons is to just be like, fuck it. Like, just do it. This is kind of us pushing back on this fear of failure and yeah. uh, feeling of like course. our voices don't matter or yeah. nobody would want to listen to us or what we have to say. Yeah. Which is like our own narrative, right? Yeah. So we don't, and so why not change it? No one's told us that, but it, we've told ourselves that it feels that way. 
but my therapist was saying like you you can accept that narrative or you can just tell your own story explicitly you know um which i think is very empowering ryan holiday wrote in his book the obstacle is the way just because your mind tells you that something is awful or evil or unplanned or otherwise negative doesn't mean you have to agree Just because other people say that something is hopeless or crazy or broken to pieces doesn't mean it is. We decide what story to tell ourselves. Amen. I love it. Yeah. It's a good book. Flipping the script on adversity. Um, And it kind of, and and there's like a fine line of um, validating your own struggle. So just cause, just cause you can feel empowered about your situation doesn't mean that what you're going through is invalid. Cause I hear a lot of people, me and Jason talk about a lot is in the pandemic that uh, people are like, yes, it's hard, but you know, other people it's harder, you know, I got my vaccine and that's okay. Right. You know, we're, we're doing it the best we, you know, everything is fine. We're really what we should be saying is, or if we if we choose to share it, we c- it could say something like, "It's it's challenging. We're managing. Yeah, this is a hard time. You yeah, know, you don't have to discredit your own experience Deny. or rationalize it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you can still be empowered to then decide how you feel about it. Right. You know, even though it's hard. Yeah. It's interesting. Our. Uh, our group discussion in my committee last week was examining the difference between venting, like processing yeah. emotions with friends yeah. and gossip. And then, you know, it's a slippery slope there to like dehumanizing yeah. language and like un- like being unproductive or even like detrimental. And part that was part of it too, is yeah. like this kind of, you have to feel your feelings, you have to process mm-hmm. your emotions and like doing that with a trusted friend can help you like clarify your thoughts and understand what you're feeling and to like get it out um but then at a certain point if it starts to become a loop then it's like kind of unproductive if there's no there should be like an arc to it and not like a continuation of it yeah i mean um oh yeah tignan han talks about this in teachings on love which is you know, once person A tells person B something negative about person C, mm. now person C is harboring negative thoughts about, I mean, person B is harboring negative thoughts about person C. It, it, it's a vicious cycle, right? So it's like you're saying, it's a really slippery slope of how we um, validate ourselves and acknowledge our experience. But I think, you know, that gets at the heart of if you, you know, why we talk to other people is that we're looking for external validation, right? Yeah. So someone else to say, yeah, that person does suck. Your situation is bad. Yeah. You know, you deserve better. But with, you know, that's why I love mindfulness is it's such a simple tool, but it's so universal. Yeah. Is if, you know, if we can really just connect our mind and body back together in that moment uh, and acknowledge ourselves, it, mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, just the the mileage on that is so long. Mm. Um, there was a Brene quote that I had in, in our discussion where she talks about uh, anger 
Uh, she says, anger is a powerful catalyst, but a life-sucking companion. So like anger should be used as a catalyst towards um, a productive, life-giving things like courage, love, change, compassion, and justice. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about this, me and you, for like this uh, whole year. Yeah. In the last four years, uh, Black Lives Matter, a failed presidency, which mm-hmm. started out with a lot of like anxiety and anger yeah. on both sides of mm-hmm. what, or diff- many different sides where people were feeling whatever they were feeling. But uh, if we end at anger, it's also not productive, you know? Yeah. So interesting. Well, think about there. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see what, what else is on my list. Oh, so this is um personal story for me with me kind of overcoming. So we haven't talked about perfectionism yet, but I know I that I am own. a recovering perfectionist. I think we will have a separate podcast yeah. episode about perfectionism. I'm just going to read briefly about it right now. Uh, this is from Brene Brown Daring Greatly. Uh, perfectionism is not the same thing as striving for excellence. Perfectionism is not self-improvement. Perfectionism is not the key to success, but in fact, hampers achievement. Perfectionism is not a way to avoid shame. It is a form of shame. Her definition, based on her qualitative research, perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Um... So this is moving past perfectionism is moving from what will people think to I am enough. One of the ways that I found that this manifested in my life is in creating art. So like I, my mother is a painter. I can't even remember learning how to draw because I have just like <laughs> I learned at such a young age that I can't even remember. Um, I've always made art. I've always drawn and painted and everything. As I got older, uh, I just kind of stopped. Um, and every time I would, I remember I did some in college, but there's just, there's so much like hanging on it. This also has to do with fixed and growth mindset, but like there was so much pressure about like, oh, you're, you know, people always say to me, you're so talented. You're so talented. Right. And that really sets you up for it to like combine with your identity. So it's like Mm -hmm. this toxic combination of perfectionism and fixed mindset. Yeah, I mean, everything you do. Yeah, yeah, approval. It's like every, if if I'm so talented, then like every single time I pick up my pencil, it has to prove that, right? Mm -hmm. It has to like, it has to validate this identity that has been created around me. And part of my journey through therapy and this is you know in huge in large part what happened to me when i had like a bullying boss in my workplace and that's what drove me towards therapy and crossfit so like i found out in therapy that the reason why this guy's behavior towards me like really affected me like triggered me so deeply was it it like really played into my perfectionism 
I was like constantly looking for like, how can I be better? How can I do better? But like not in a healthy, productive way. And so anytime he criticized me, I was like, oh, I'm terrible. <laughs> and like, I'm bad. Yeah, that's bad. I was just like so ready to believe him. And I, and, and perfectionism makes for like a really fragile, it's like a very fragile way of being, right? Because it's like at any moment you can be, your entire identity can be like destroyed. So as I started to learn about that, recognize it, pick it apart, hashtag therapy, hashtag thanks, Rachel. I started to – like these things kind of just kind of started to happen. And CrossFit was the perfect kind of physical manifestation of it because I'm a tiny girl. Like that's – I'm not – like I did yoga. Like I don't do CrossFit. But I started to do something basically that I was bad at in front of other people, like as a group. They were supportive people. But like every time I went, I was – terrified. I would literally be shaking and I would go and just like force myself to do it. And then like that kind of like desensitized me to the feeling of like trying something new, getting comfortable with failure, like that type of thing. And then out of that, all of a sudden I started to make art again. All of a sudden something flipped and I was like, I'm just going to draw and like who cares what it looks like and not only am I going to draw but I'm going to like share it I'm going to post it I'm going to share it and like not care and just like do it just for the sake of doing it because I like it and I like to share it and that was like a huge thing for me that I didn't even realize I was doing I didn't even realize that I would I would sketch occasionally wouldn't show anyone like so you just start to like clam up. And so that that's a, that was a big personal story that came up for me when thinking about failure where I was like, oh, it completely stifled my creativity. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, it's a really great story. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome, Ma. <laughs> um, because, you know, I feel like that's the arc of like people who grew up in these kind of households where you're really praised a lot. Yeah. But then you kind of work towards that praise through perfectionism. And like, uh, you know, it was it like, I'm this, I'm the same way, but for different things, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's just for different categories of stuff. Um, and like, it's like, wow, it just, goes to show you that, wow, like a child is so free and so open and how that just starts closing up more and more as, yeah. as you get this sense of yourself, which mm-hmm. has really like hit home for me as a person with two children who, mm. you know, who are born, born as girls and, um, and, or assigned birth at female, assigned female at birth. And, you know, I don't know how they're going to be going forward, but especially I feel like women are, you know, praised so much for their looks Mm -hmm. and, you know, and kids are cute. Right. And you want to be like, you're (laughs) cute and you're pretty, but like the, like the word pretty, like Mm. the the number of, like when I hear it, it's like a siren in my ears. I'm like, Oh, why are they saying that she's pretty? Like, I know she's pretty, but like, you don't have to say it so much. Shut your mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you cause her self 
image issues when she's yeah. 20. Don't do it. Or I will. Yes. I don't know what I'll do. But <laughs> but like it literally is like it's like an alarm in my ears when I hear mm-hmm. it. It's like, oh, that's pretty. That dress is pretty. You're so right. pretty. Why are you pretty? And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah. And I know I can't, you know, a lot of it's like I can't control the world, mm-hmm. right? And I can't mm-hmm. control friends or family, but all I can do is work on myself, mm-hmm. break down my own perfectionism because modeling yeah. is the best type of teaching, you know, yeah. break yeah. down my own perfectionism, show vulnerability, show repair, yeah. show, um, and it's not perfect. Obviously that in and of itself is not mm-hmm. easy. Parenting is the ultimate. I mean, I haven't had every experience of life, but it, it is certainly one of the most um, throws your whole self in front of your face in ways you can never imagine. Like, yeah. and maybe I'm just saying that cause I'm a young parent. I don't know. Maybe I'm just naive and I don't know anything, but it's crazy. Like it's really crazy. Cause it just throws everything in your face, just puts it out all in the table. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I feel like the only thing I can really do is just continue to work on myself acknowledge, you know, like feel, fail freely, you know, uh, I avoid saying anything about how I look or how mm. even other people look. Right. Like the other day I was watching an exercise video and like just a light on the person's face looked weird. And I said, Oh, her face looks weird. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, wow, like what, a, you know, and Jason caught me. He's like, don't don't be saying how people look especially on something like an exercise video where you're seeing like her whole face and her whole this person's whole face and their whole body and like they're putting themselves out there and then to be like wow her face looks weird you know yeah it was like oh yeah and and it did the lighting wasn't great on that particular thing but does that really matter (laughs) you know like it really doesn't matter it doesn't need to be said and she they're like little sponges you know they're they're listening to everything that you know say yeah especially at like four and five um Mm -hmm. yeah and I can already see like she already has like those things of like things she wants to wear like she wants to show someone and it's because they say she's pretty, you know, it's because they're yeah. going to be like, wow, that dress is so pretty on you. Yeah. Uh, it's a, so it's a struggle for sure. But, you know, I don't know what I can do about that. Those I, and I remember in high school, I remember I went to Tanglewood and oh, I remember that. Yeah. And, um, and I, that was the year that I like had acne. I like had horrible acne. It was like, it was horrible. I remember it. And it happened like over the summer, like all of a sudden. And I remember feeling like my self-worth was like in the toilet. Like I'm pretty and therefore now I'm now that I'm not, like I am worth like worthless. <laughs> and I happen, do you remember right? Nancy from across the street? Oh yeah. She she was she would always tell me how beautiful I was. And I remember like coming home that summer and like she came over and I was like so like uncomfortable with how I looked and she like didn't say anything and like left. And I was I just I like distinctly remember it because it's like if you're wow. told constantly, wow. you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful. And then you're like <laughs> I have red blotches all over my face. 
Yeah. Like I, I felt horrible. I really, that's like a strong memory for me. So you're doing the right thing by not emphasizing it as much as you can. As much as you can, right? Because yeah. especially with the younger ones, the older ones, it's a little easier, but the younger ones, they're so dang cute, you know? So and cute. then <laughs> so your kids, especially. <laughs> I know, right? It says, it says everyone about their kid ever. Um, but with the younger ones, you know, I see Maya being like, oh, she gets a lot of praise for being cute. Let mm-hmm. me start talking like a baby. Let me act like a baby. Let me, right. you know. Uh, and yeah, so it's a work in progress. I don't do great with that that one. But but definitely like, you know, we'll say things like, wow, you really like how you look today. It feels really good when you wear that color. It sounds yeah. like you really put like putting bows in your hair. Yeah. You know, so whatever she likes, you know, that was, which is a challenge for me too. Cause I'm like, I don't want her to be a girly girl, but what if that's what she wants? You yeah. Know, what if that's what makes her feel good. What if it right. makes her feel good to wear pink all the time and yeah. that's okay too, you know? Yeah. So to try not to manipulate her out of her own feelings. That sounds so it, hard. It is really <laughs> challenging. I mean, we're certainly better than where we were four years ago. Right. So whole other podcast there. Yeah. So four years ago, we didn't know anything about anything mm-hmm. about rearing children. And now we're in a much different place and it's mm-hmm. just incremental and there's new challenges. So it's not, it's not, not just a one way street to success yeah. that you're working to climb. You have arrived. <laughs> yeah. You have, you have arrived every moment. Tigna Han says that is, I don't know if that's where he got it from, but he has a clock which is like a mindfulness clock and every hour it just says now. So mm. right now is now. Every moment is now. Yeah. There is no other moment. Yes. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I digress. <laughs> it's now, 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 now. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, you have another thing he has is you have arrived because any yeah. moment you have arrived into whatever you're supposed to be already, right. you know, you have arrived. Everything is just now there is no yesterday or tomorrow, which sounds kind yeah. of cheesy, but if you can really embrace that concept or at least change your thinking, remind yourself a few times. Then the thing is, is that all of this stuff sounds cheesy. Like the stuff that yeah. I do in my committee, like our code of yeah. conduct, like our discussions, it's like all like you would be like, what is this? Like a motivational poster? But if you actually sit and talk about it, like these are the principles that underlie so much of like the goodness in the world. And it's worth like sitting and thinking about and like sitting with. Yeah. And I think like also, okay. I don't want to get about like men, but accidentally. accidentally the mic. (laughs) But like, The same way I feel about hearing the word pretty is how, Mm. you know, since Black Lives Matter, since Me Too, like that I'm just seeing how the world is so one note. Like when I see another, um, you know, you know, like a white cis man talk that's older talking about like how everyone else should live their lives. I'm just like like, like, why is this happening? And so the point of me bringing this up is it's now like more, um, 
people are more aware of it. It's more mm-hmm. culturally acceptable to acknowledge these right. kind of this this one dimensionality to culture. Right. But what it brings is also a one dimensionality to how we approach problems and what right. how what does solving problems look like? What does success look like? And what I saw, thought was really interesting in New Zealand, where they have a, a woman. Prime Minister, Minister, uh, who handled the pandemic extremely well and used this type of kind of common assertive language that was clear and direct, but also reassuring. Yeah. And it's like some people said stupid shit, like she has a woman's touch. Like, no, she's using an approach that's actually psychologically better for having a more successful outcome. Right. Yeah. Um, she's reassuring people, but not giving up the message. She's being assertive about the message and she's being clear what needs to be yeah. done, but she's also being reassuring. And mm-hmm. that's an approach that can be taken that people just don't take because yeah. there is a one dimensional voice, right. yes. you know, when, when one type of person is in power, there's going to be one type of voice or they're all yeah. it's, it's sort of self-fulfilling, right? So you're yeah. going to then hire people that are similar to you and they're going to hire right. people that are similar to them. And it's all going to be very similar. Mm-hmm. And that's why we think that, you know, being assertive in a, in a meeting means that you wear a suit as a, as a person who identifies as a woman and that you dress a certain way and that right. you talk a certain way and you, and you mm-hmm. talk like men, quote unquote, you know, or people who are identifying that way. And, and, um, yeah, so it's just like, you know, that's how we see power and, yeah, and it's success narrow. and and also boring. Yeah. <laughs> and also a lot of times not successful, right? And like not yeah. Like very much like, so. The Americans aren't like switching from, you know, every day into being more happy, less rates of depression, less rates of suicide, better yeah. neonatal outcomes, better maternal mortality. Like no, we're like moving in the opposite direction. So whatever right. we're doing is not working. So yeah. like whatever our culture is or whatever, you know, that's a deep and complicated issue of why America or say Western or certain countries look the way they, mm-hmm. they do. But also like, let's think of this creatively and at least yeah. work from say, like you're talking about a, in a committee, like from a position of diversity or from a position of um, uh, accept acceptance or a culture of acceptance or culture of empowerment and like Mm -hmm. culture of authenticity, Authenticity. vulnerability, feedback. Let's see what happens, right? Yeah. Like let's see what happens because what's the worst that could happen? People feel a little better about what they're doing and they're maybe less (laughs) depressed or less anxious. Like that's the worst that could happen, right? Yes, seriously. Like (laughs) that's what, so this is basically- I mean, that's what this podcast is going to be. Yeah. But like, so I I spoke on that panel recently, right, for Dartmouth. And so I had to like think about how to explain what I do on my committee to like people who don't know anything about unions and stuff. And one of the things that uh, came up, you know, when thinking about like how we started to work in this way that you're describing with like doing a different way, one of my biggest like messages and takeaways was that basically George Floyd was murdered. The country was swept with this feeling of like, fuck it, we've had enough. This isn't working. And that trickled into our union where people started messaging each other and they were like, what's going on with this? What should we be doing? And that's when I, like I had been 
kind of cultivating this arsenal of principles and books and you know, you know, all the research that I've done and all the like self-education I've done. And so it's just, and it like coincides with CrossFit and like my whole, my whole personal journey. And then like, right at that moment, we were like, we're starting over. Like we didn't, we realized we didn't like the way the committee had been set up initially, which wasn't really by us. Like the power didn't like lie with us. And so, and, you know, and with the pandemic, we could work over Zoom. We didn't have to all meet in Midtown on like a specific day and only half of us can make it. Like we, we were much more like spry on our feet. We could move quickly at speed and we had the privacy too. We didn't have to meet in union offices. We could talk amongst ourselves. And we were just like, we're throwing everything out. We're starting from scratch and like, we're going to do it the way that we want to do it. And so it like, it really, like everything you're saying, like really like jived with me. Cause I was like, that's exactly what we did where we were like, no, we don't have yeah. to do it this way. The way that sucks, like the way yeah. that doesn't work. And like, nobody's yeah. happy. Nobody feels connected. Yeah. Like, like what's the worst that could happen when you're using more empowering, more validating, more acknowledgement, even if the outcomes are the same, people just go home feeling better about it. Yeah. Right. They and I can feel tell engaged. You for my little experiment, the outcomes are way better. Way better. Yeah. So most of the time. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, yeah, people are going to be more productive. They're going to, you're going to have more successful creative outcomes when people feel motivated and empowered. And when they don't, they're just going to be like, check the boxes and go home. Yeah. You know? And a large part of that is over, like creating a culture where it's okay to fail, to bring it back to the exactly. theme. Like that's, exactly. that's like at the heart of so many things. It's like you modeling failing, you modeling moving through failure and flipping the script, like yeah. modeling vulnerability, um, asking for feedback acknowledging that you're never perfect and that you can should always be open to it like that's that's creating a culture where people feel safe to take chances think creatively and fail and see failing as necessary Necessary. to growth growth (laughs) (laughs) do you like how we said growth at the same time yeah um yeah it's just like it's so i mean we're both in fields like okay, like where it's a little bit hierarchical. Yeah. There's people critically looking at what you do, like medical education. Oh, we need a whole podcast on medical education. Yeah. How it sucks. Okay. I <laughs> all the medical education I've had. I appreciate the places that I've been, but certainly at, at the med school level, oh my God, it's, it's horrendous. It's everything mm-hmm. the opposite of what helps people grow, growth. Yeah. you know, um, uh, growth mindset or, and just, uh, the hierarchy, I can't even begin yeah. because I will just, it will be another long soapbox, but, but, you know, that specifically, I, I, uh, wanted to, to work on at a med school I was working in, helping people, uh, students understand that failure is a part of it. And and I think explicitly that, mm-hmm. you know, cognitive bias should be taught explicitly yeah. in medic- medical school. Yeah. Why did they, why did they explicitly do it for business? Because they have unlocked how to make 
businesses and money. And the money is such a powerful motivator that they're like, let's unlock the ways that we can do this better. And they've unlocked psychology and they've brought all that. And when you, and this is, it's not firsthand, but I've read about and talked to people where, where, when you apply for a, a really at a big consulting firm or your, or, or business school, they're asking you these questions that are really about like cognitive bias. And they're trying to see if you've figured this, these things out about Mm. psychology and see how you work through problems. This does not happen in medical school. Literally our decisions are life and death. They affect the life of some human being. And yet we're not talking about Mm -hmm. how to, how cognitive bias and decision-making play into how you treat a human being. And we're not talking then about that, that really is a driver for then, you know, the failure feels so personal, but in fact, like all of these other things are at play and that's normal. Let's understand them and know that that's going to happen. That failure is going to be a normal percentage of the time. You're not going to be right all the time. Yeah. Like, let's talk about these things, let alone, and that's from clinical you know, that's clinical decision-making, you know, how do you actually treat a person? What are you supposed to do? But then going back to even how you study and who's going to be successful is all based on who memorized the slides the best, which does not tell you at all how to think. It does not tell you at all how to work through a difficult feeling. What does it feel like when you're learning something Mm. that doesn't, that you don't know? And, and it's a culture of shame. You know, the yeah. people that do the best that, that get hundred percent are then going to go into the, the, the highest paying fields and everyone there is super hierarchical. I mean, it, it's, it's a wild beast. And, and as we see now during the pandemic, okay, the system sucks, right? Like it's not yeah. great, but anyway, Talk about something that like puts a highlighter on everything that's wrong with society because it just like compounded every inequity and every issue that already existed before. Truth. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I mean, it's a whole nother podcast about healthcare. <laughs> but, um... Um, the other thing that I thought about when you were talking about the words that you use with your kids was that one of the biggest takeaways from the book Mindset by Carol Dweck was that like you can change like one to two words in a sentence and you can put someone you can like completely alter what mindset they're in and therefore like the trajectory that they take like they did studies where they had kids take tests and they took one test same test and then one of the groups was told wow you're so good at this and the other group was told wow you worked really hard And the kids who were told that they did so well and that they were good at this, like the next test that they took, they like avoided challenges. They shut down. They like were put into a fixed mindset and didn't Mm -hmm. want to actually be challenged. They were afraid of being challenged, afraid of failing. And the kids who were told that they put a lot of effort into it, they like leaned into the challenges and that like I remember one story she told where a kid was like "Ooh, this is really hard and he like rubbed his hands together excitedly like "Ooh, roll up my sleeves and like dig into this this one's like I, I am not getting this one and they actually like took pleasure and recognized yeah. just like oh. you said like recognize okay. that that feeling of of being challenged is like oh that means I'm learning that means that I'm growing and learning. Totally. I love I that. Mean, the kids uh, rubbing their hands together. Ugh. I mean, this like Jason's all about this concept. 
And I really picked it up from him. Like when we first met in medical school that, um, but anyway, fast forward that like with, with the kids, he'll literally say like to Maya, like, do you notice how your brain's feeling right now? It mm. feels weird, right? It feels weird that you don't, you're like trying to figure out the answer and you're not sure what it is. It means you're learning. And she'll be like, mm. oh, cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and to notice that feeling instead of going away from it because it's uncomfortable, right? right? Yeah. So, you know, it's normal human tendency to just go move away from feelings, whether it's physically or emotionally right. or mentally, anything that's uncomfortable, you're going to move away from it. Mm-hmm. And uh, to how do you lean into it? First, mm. The first part is like, it's, it's mindfulness. It's observing that, just acknowledging it, you know? Yeah. I have to pick up my kid from school. So Okay. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to say was that that reminds me of yesterday. I like spent over two hours shoveling my car. But because I do CrossFit, I was like, I was like, oh, this is really fun workout. I was like, really like into it. You can trick oh. yourself. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> Jason lives for like shoveling the snow for a workout. <laughs> um, yeah, the, actually, the other day, it's funny that you said that. Uh, that we went out with the kids, and I was like, I didn't get to work out. I eat shovel the snow. So <laughs> I had to watch the kids. Yeah, yeah, Not fair. <laughs> We're doing something right. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Aw. <laughs> this was great. This was our first. I'll. I hope it recorded. <laughs> it it, we'll, it had we'll the little find dot out how there. it works. It's uh, recording now. Thanks for listening to Midnight Revolution with Melissa Joyce Khan and Catherine Akiko Dez with music by Alishaba T2. Like, follow, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcast.